0: morning in our series, Working Our Way Through the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn please to Luke chapter 6, that's where we've got to. And my uh, message this morning is entitled, Life in the Kingdom. So if you're making notes, that's what you can call it, Life in the Kingdom. This is Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read some verses together, uh, starting at verse 17. So this is Luke chapter 6. Reading from verse 17, I'm reading from the New International Version. He went down with them, says Jesus, and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the power And and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how your fathers, the pro- how they treated your fathers, the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. But I tell you who hear me Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayments, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So this is quite a well-known Bible passage. If you've been a Christian at any length of time, you may well have read it before. I'm sure you may well have heard sermons on it before now as well. And it's a list of blessings and woes. That's the heading in the NIV, at least. least. Now, there's a fuller account of what's probably the same uh, sermon of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And that's probably a a more uh, common passage to preach from on this. And in there, it's commonly known as the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard it referred to as such. But whole books and sermon series are written and preached on this passage. I've got some of them. I've heard and listened to some of them. This morning we need to try and condense all this into around about 35 minutes. So clearly we're not going to go into as much detail as we may do if we were doing a whole series on the Beatitudes. And that would be a good series to do. But that's not what we're doing this morning. So what I want to look at this morning is what are the key points for us. This Recollection of Luke of Jesus' teaching. Luke's written it down. What um, what have we got to learn from this? What are the key points for us? What is life like in the kingdom? That's my title this morning: Life in the Kingdom. So, what is life like in the kingdom? Do you notice that uh, Jesus? was looking at his disciples at this point. Verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said these things. So there was a crowd there, and there were his disciples. And it's clear that this part, at least, is directed to those who are following Jesus. So that will be true of many of us this morning, those who are following Jesus. So what does he have for us as we look at this passage together? Let's pray, shall we? And um, then we'll see what God has for us as we get into it. Lord Jesus... We thank you for your word to us. And we pray now as we spend these moments together in it that you would be our teacher, please. Holy Spirit, we pray that we'd have open hearts to hear from heaven this morning. Help us to understand what we read. Help me to communicate well. And Lord, I pray that our lives would be changed because of these moments together. Father, we pray for life change. God, I ask you for that this morning. I ask you for life change in me and in my friends here, Lord. As we spend time in your word, Holy Spirit, would you come and apply it to our lives, please? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, a good question to ask to start with, I guess, would be, what does blessed mean? Blessed or blessed. Jesus keeps using this word, so... What does it mean? We need to understand that before we get into the passage, don't we? Because if we don't, then the rest of it doesn't really make any sense. Well, commentators talk about two words in Hebrew and Greek that are translated into this English word, blessed or blessed. The first word that's used in Hebrew and Greek is used in prayer. And it's the word that you might use... If you were praying, Lord, bless so-and-so, would you bless the sick or would you bless a particular individual? Would you bless a group of people? It's the word that is translated uh, to use in that sort of context where you're praying a blessing on somebody. That's not the word that's used here. The other word, the one that is used here, in both Hebrew and Greek are word clusters. And to quote one commentator, they are not part of a wish and to not invoke a blessing. Rather, this is important for us, they recognise an existing state of happiness or good fortune. That is the word that is used for blessed here. It recognises an existing state of happiness or good fortune. So why is that important, you might say? Wouldn't you? Well, i tell you. Kenneth Bailey in his book says this. He says, it means that they affirm a quality of spirituality that is already present. So Jesus speaking to his disciples here, him speaking to us this morning is talking about something that should already exist within us. He goes on to say, then, in this context, if you say someone is blessed or blessed, you're affirming something about them that is already true, that is already existing. So, therefore, we need to understand this. The Beatitudes as a group do not mean, blessed are the people who do this, for they shall receive that. So, when we first read it, we can think, oh, if we do this, we get that. We can exchange one thing for another. And blessed is that sort of person. That's actually not what Jesus is saying here. And there is some truth in that. You could read many of those things in other passages of Scripture. So I'm not saying that's not true biblically. But what we want to do this morning is say, what does this passage say? That's so what we're doing. Is we open up the Bible, we're saying, what do these few verses say to us this morning? So yes, it's true that God comforts those who mourn. It's true. There are other things we could take out and say, yeah, it's true in Scripture. Well, what I want us to do this morning is look at what this passage says and what is God saying to us from here. Just to stay with a couple more commentators for a moment so we really understand this. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says this. The special feature of this word that we get translated blessed or blessed in the New Testament is that it refers overwhelmingly to to the distinctive religious joy which accrues to man from his share in the salvation of the kingdom of God. So what that means, let me try and put it in a slightly easier to understand way, is that because of your relationship with Jesus, because of your salvation, because you are already following him and have life in him, then because of those things, you should also be experiencing and exhibiting these qualities, and indeed growing in them. Another commentator puts it like this. This sermon by Jesus teaches not what must be done in order to enter the kingdom of God, but what is expected of one who is already in the kingdom of God. Do you understand the difference? I know i spent some time on that. But you see, when we first read the passage, we can misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. It's important that we understand what he is really saying to us. So this is not about what must be done in order that you do enter the kingdom of God, in in this first section of the passage we read, but rather what is expected of once you are already following Jesus and part of his kingdom. So we don't have time to unpack Every single one of these statements, but we'll just look at some headlines together. So Luke has this, isn't he, in, uh, in his book. He says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. This is verse 20, if you're still following it in your Bibles. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew puts it like this. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So do you notice that uh, Matthew spiritualizes it, whereas Luke just says it how it is. Matthew says, blessed the poor in spirit. So the question then is, does it, refer, does it refer to the poor financially or the poor in spirit? Well, this is a question that has been long discussed. And if you're thinking that this morning, then you are in a long list of people who have thought about such things over many years. So one argument is that Luke reflects the true voice of Jesus whilst Matthew spiritualises it. The counter-argument is that the readers of Luke would know that Jesus was talking about the poor in spirit and didn't need the extra explanation. So we need to be careful that we don't read into the text something that's not there. It's right that we say, okay, what does Luke say? What does Matthew say? How, How do we take both on board here? Let's not try and read something into the text that isn't there, that Jesus isn't saying. If you know your Old Testaments, and many of Jesus' listeners at that moment would be familiar with the Old Testaments, you might be, and they would have been reminded of passages, for example, in Isaiah, or maybe the Psalms. So Isaiah 66, verse 2, for example, says this, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So they'd be familiar with being humble or or poor in spirit, being contrite in in attitude. That would have come to mind as Jesus was teaching. So the context seems to suggest, actually, Jesus is saying it's about, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, if you're contrite, if you're humble before him. However, that being said, it does seem right throughout Scripture that the poor, the financially poor, if we just put it like that for a moment, do actually have a special place in God's heart. Even think about how Jesus came. He came to a peasant family, largely. He was worshipped, firstly, by shepherds. Now, yeah, the wise men came and brought expensive gifts as well. But even in identifying himself with shepherds, those who were often outcasts, no, they, were, they were smelly. They were out on the fields. That would been identifying himself with the poor. And Jesus wasn't afraid to do that. The rich are often self-reliant, but the poor have to rely on God. And the Gospel is good news To the poor. Do you believe that? It really is. It is good news to the poor. Listen to what Paul writes. This is in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, verses 9 to 11. Paul's giving an account of his ministry here, and he says this James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, which are the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I have been eager to do all along. So whilst the context in Luke and Matthew is primarily one of poor in spirit, being contrite, humble in hearts, it does also apply to the materially poor does also apply to them as well. And so often, far too much of our society is directed towards the well-off. Or it's directed to those who can afford to do something. Too often, the poor are neglected. Their life chances are reduced. The Gospel challenges us to remember them and to remember the poor. I is, um, is it Save the Children that have recently done a report into poverty in the UK and for the first time started to raise money for um, reaching kids in the UK rather than just abroad. This is actually a subject that affects us in our nation, even now. So for those who are poor now, if they're in the kingdom of God, then they're really rich because the kingdom of God belongs to them. It's true, isn't it? Yes, the kingdom of God belongs to us as we enter into it and follow Jesus. But that is so much true for the poor who don't have anything else to rely on. And as they enter the kingdom of God, as they follow Jesus, then it belongs to them. And they are really rich. But Jesus goes on, doesn't he? Blessed are you who hunger now. So Jesus is promising that those who hunger now will be satisfied. Now there is a A way you can interpret this, you can say, we can look forward to the coming of Jesus again. You can look forward to that day. and It's important we do look forward to that day. It may be in our lifetime or in lifetimes ahead. But it's important we look towards that day. We could say, okay, well, Jesus is talking about then. Well, you could argue it like that, but actually, he's talking about things now as well. It's not just looking forward to the coming of the kingdom of God in all its fullness. It's the new heavens, the new earth. There is an element of that that applies, but it's not just that. Though you are poor, though you may hunger, you've got so much. You've got the kingdom of God, Jesus might say. He might put it like that. So it's not an excuse for ignoring poverty. It's the poor who often go hunger, isn't it? We're not trying to alleviate it. We should work with people to help bring them out of poverty, whether in the UK or abroad. But this isn't Jesus' focus here. Matthew, again, spiritualizes it. He says, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's also true. So if we're already following Jesus, already in the kingdom of God, already experiencing something of him, then we should hunger and thirst for Righteousness. That's what Jesus is saying here. So let me ask you a question: What about you? Would you say that you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Will that be true in your own life, or is it maybe something you feel you you know you've got to achieve? It's like a, you know I must work harder. It's like when you go to the gym, think you must do something with these muscles. In my case, I must do quite a lot with these muscles. But you might go to the gym and think, ah, oh, I need to achieve something here. Is that how you interpret this sort of thing? I uh, need to achieve righteousness? Or is it something you hunger for and thirst for? I wonder, have you ever known what it is to be really hungry? Or really thirsty? I guess the reality is for most of us in this country, we haven't experienced the sort of hunger or thirst that often people in other nations do on a, on a daily basis. But maybe you have done. Or if you haven't, maybe you've been out on a, on a long walk one summer's day. You know, that one day when it was hot and sunny. That one day was at north, by the way, in case you weren't there. But that one day in the summer where it was hot and sunny and the sun was overhead and there were no clouds and you decided to do a ten mile hike. But you forgot the water. And you know, six or seven miles in, under the midday sun, you're parched, your tongue is dry you're starting to you know, see visions of pools of water, thinking this is not looking good. <laughs> Desperate for a drink. You're thirsty, really thirsty. Well, even that doesn't really come close to being really hungry and really thirsty. But I wonder, is that how you feel about righteousness in your life? About living a holy life? before Jesus. You see, if you just work at being more righteous, if you think, okay, must be more righteous, must try harder, must be better at this, then, friends, that's not how it works. I guess most of us, if we're honest, have probably tried it like that, either once or more than once. That would be true for me. I've tried it. I suspect many of you have done, if you're honest, as well. And thought, oh yeah, I must try harder, I must be more righteous, must try and get this one sorted. See, it won't do it in your own strength. Actually, the truth of scripture is that you are declared righteous in God's sight. When you put your trust in Jesus, when you decide to follow Him, when you accept Him as your Savior, when you allow Him to forgive you and come to you. Actually, you are declared righteous in that moment before the Lord. As you put your trust in him, God sees you as righteous. Doesn't just not see all the bad things you've done, but sees all the good things Jesus has done. That's a pretty good exchange, isn't it really? (laughs) All the bad things we've done for all the good things Jesus has done. That's how God sees you in that moment. You're declared righteous before him. But it's true as well, that as we move forward in the Christian life, we become progressively righteous, isn't it? We're declared righteous before Jesus, before God. He, de- he sees us as righteous before him. But we know as we continue to follow Jesus, he points things out in our lives, says, how about this now? Let's look at this area. Or let's, let's do some change there. Actually, it's as you spend more time with him, as you look to him, that other things start to fall away. And you find that, actually, I know I'm declared righteous, but those things I used to struggle with or that were a problem for me, actually, they're they're not anymore. Because I'm looking to Jesus now, and he's more of my focus. J.C. Ryle puts it like this. He says, are you tempted? Look unto Jesus. Are you afflicted? Look unto Jesus. Do all speak evil of you? Look unto Jesus. Do you feel cold, dull, backsliding? Look unto Jesus. Whether you are weak or strong, in the valley or on the mountain, in sickness or in health, in sorrow or in joy, in going out or coming in, in youth or in age, in richness or in poverty, in life and in death, let this be your motto and your guide. Looking unto Jesus. Amen. You look to him that you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. you look to him, you think, yeah, Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to be more holy. I want to be more righteous. I want to be more like you. Because if you look to him, your gaze is taken up with him rather than you. The great 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, tells the story of how he became a Christian. Maybe you've heard it. And uh, he he goes to a, a, a chapel one morning the regular minister, preacher, isn't there. And uh, after a while, some guy gets up to, to preach. Doesn't do a very good job, actually. Hasn't got a great sermon. Probably isn't very well prepared for this rather short notice occasion. But all he speaks about is looking to Jesus. Pretty much all he said, <laughs> when he used, was look to Jesus. And kept saying it. And the young Spurgeon tells a story how in that moment he realised he could look to Jesus and be saved. Friends, maybe that's true for some of you this morning. Maybe you don't yet know what it is to have a relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've come with a friend. Maybe you've just come to see what all this is about. Let me tell you this morning, as you look to Jesus, as you put your trust in Him, you can know what it is to have new life. You can know what it is to have Sin forgiven. You can know what it is to be loved by Jesus. Accepted by the living God. As you look to him. You can do it even this morning. Maybe perhaps for the first time. As you look to him. But Jesus goes on. We need to to press on to get through a few more verses together. He said, Blessed are you who are weep." He says, Blessed when men hate you. You think, is that true? How can that be? Well, just as we've looked at the other statements, we need to look at these as well. You who will weep will know joy. You who are persecuted on account of following Jesus, Jesus says you're blessed because of your great reward in heaven. And it was great to hear Jeremy mention a little bit earlier the case of the Iranian pastor who's just been released after being under sentence of death for, I think it's three years or so now wonderful that he's been released and he's back home with his family he's been persecuted on account of following Jesus, quite seriously persecuted but I'm sure it will be true for him as it has been true for many over the centuries in those sort of situations they have looked forward to that day when Jesus will return they've looked forward to knowing actually their great reward is in heaven. This they may have prayed about their current situation and certainly for this particular individual it's true that many of us around the world were praying for him and asking God for his release. But in that situation you look towards your great reward in heaven. That would have been true I'm sure for him and for many others throughout the years as well rejoicing and leaping for joy are perhaps not the most expected actions of someone who is suffering persecution it wouldn't be what you'd naturally expect would it, Think, oh persecution hooray, leap for joy and rejoice and... but actually what does Jesus say here rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven Jesus encourages us to look forward to that day. Luke also lists here some woes. And these parallel the blessings that we've just looked at. Do you notice this? So we've got them here, verses 24 and following. So the world might think that those who are rich, who are well fed, who laugh and have men speak well of them, are doing well they'll be the sort of people that you would see on the magazine cover of your favourite celebrity magazine. Wouldn't it? The people who are doing well, who are rich, who are well fed, who have people speaking well of them. They are the people that will be profiled in the glossy celebrity magazine. They appear to have it all. At first glance, it appears that they have everything. But Jesus says, not all is well. Not all is well with them. If that's all they have, then woe to them. They've received their reward now, and their future looks far more uncertain. Because unless they repent and follow Jesus, they'll not experience the coming kingdom of God and the blessing associated with it. I wonder, what would Jesus say to you this morning? If he were sitting next to you, in the comfy seat, either side of you, one side of you, what would Jesus say to you? Would he say, blessing? Or would he say, woe to you? The good news of the Gospel is this. Even if Jesus at the first moment might say, woe to you, because you haven't received him yet. You haven't responded to his love and grace yet. You haven't entered into his kingdom yet the invitation is still there for you this morning. And even if the first part of the conversation with Jesus might be, woe to you, because you haven't seen it yet. Even this morning, the second part of the same conversation could be, blessing to you, because you've responded to Jesus. Before we wrap up, and we'll do so soon, I just want to spend a few moments looking at the last few verses that we looked at. Verses 27 and onwards through to the end of the passage we read there in verse 36. Jesus talks about loving your enemies. And having challenged people's expectations of what's blessed or not, Jesus goes on to talk about how to treat your enemies. Now, I'm sure you'll recognise some phrases here because Jesus' teaching here is seeped into popular culture. Lots of people talk about the golden rule of doing to others as you would have them do to you. Lots of people talk like that, whether they follow Jesus or not. That would be quite a common phrase that people might use. This is where it comes from. It's in verse 31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a biblical phrase. It's a teaching of Jesus. But there's more here. And by any normal standards is pretty unachievable. <laughs> we can read this and think, oh boy, is that really what Jesus expects? Because let's face it, loving people who love you is quite easy. Doing good to people who have done good to you, that's not hard. Responding well to somebody when they say, look, can you, can you help us with this situation? Will you lend us some money for this? I mean, if they've, if they've done that before and they've paid you back, you think, well yeah, it's not a great risk really. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who ill-treat you. Anyone find that easy? Without God's help, without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, it's not just difficult, it's impossible. Is Jesus really setting us up to fail here? no he's not he's saying this is what we should be living like with his help with the spirit in our lives Jesus expects a standard from his disciples both then and now that is different to the world anyone can do good to those who do good to them that's not difficult and it's not different Jesus is saying we should be different we should do more So let me ask you, are you different? Are you doing more? How are you doing about loving your enemies and blessing those who curse you? Make it practical for a moment. Maybe it's somebody at work who gives you a hard time. Maybe it's your boss who sends you endless emails demanding all sorts of reports by yesterday on his desk. Maybe it's a colleague you just find hard to get on with. Maybe it's an annoying neighbour who plays their music until 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and it's not even good music. <laughs> if we think about it hard enough we've all got people in our lives that irritate us even mildly or give us a lot of grief. We might even describe as enemies or knowing that they've cursed us. What's the response that Jesus asked for? It's not to do it back to love them, to bless them, to pray for them, to do them good. And Jesus can say this because, let's face it, he was the supreme example of it, wasn't he? So we've talked this morning and we've sung about the cross. And even on the cross, as nails are being hammered into his hands, Jesus prays for the soldiers that are killing him. Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Even in that moment, Jesus is true to what he's teaching here. So friends, his challenge for us this morning is to be true to it as well. Let's wrap up. If you focus on the question... About these blessings and woes, or beatitudes as we might call them, if you if you say, well, are they material or spiritual? If that's your only question about them, then you're likely to miss the point. Do you remember the quote from earlier: This sermon by Jesus teaches not what must be done to enter the kingdom of God, but what is expected of one who is already in the kingdom of God. So if you've already put your trust in Jesus, if you've already given him your life and are following him, then this is the sort of life that Jesus wants you to live as you outwork that and follow Jesus. So if you're poor, the kingdom of God belongs to you. If you're hungry, you'll be satisfied. If you weep now, you will laugh. And if men revile you, you'll be blessed, Rejoice. Don't just treat your friends well. Treat your enemies like that too. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High, Jesus says. But as we finish, perhaps the band can come up as I just draw this to a conclusion. Let's be clear about one thing. If you live this type of life, just by trying harder or if you try and live this type of life just by trying harder or working at it more and more working to a set of rules maybe thinking I oh, must do this, must be like this I've got my checklist, I don't know how I'm doing today I'll check off a few things, yeah I love the enemy yeah I've prayed for the annoying neighbour. if you're just going through a list friends, if you're thinking yeah, I'm just going to do this by trying harder and actually that's legalism it's just dead religion there's no life in it it's not honouring to Jesus and it will kill you however the way you do live this life is by looking to Jesus by loving him by receiving his spirit and walking in the good of it that's how you live this sort of life any other way it's impossible any other way it will drag you down any other way it will depress you because you'll try and you'll fail It's not that you're, you know, no worse than anybody else. But we've all been there. We've all tried and failed. We cannot do it on our own. But as we look to Jesus, receive his spirit, and walk in his power, then that's how we live this sort of life that Jesus is talking about here. Let's stand together. We're going to pray and worship the Lord together as we close.